right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter number 1. And as you're turning there, uh, thinking of that last song, uh, boy, I like that song, Face to Face We Shall Behold Him. What a day. I was sitting there thinking as we were singing, what a day that will be that we will stand face to face with Jesus Christ. Man, I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. It's scary as well uh, to face the Savior who shed his blood on Calvary and paid that I could be redeemed and saved. But man, what a joyous time. And, and as I was thinking about face to face with our Lord Jesus Christ, man, I started thinking, you know, not only is it Jesus Christ who we will see face to face, and don't get me wrong, that is the principal one. That is the one that we want to see. I started thinking about the Apostle Paul. And hey, we'll, we'll get to see the Apostle Paul in heaven. We'll get to talk with him. And I was thinking about all the Bible uh, characters that are, we've read about and we've studied about in, in our lifetime. And, and not just them, but loved ones who have passed on. I have a grandma and grandpa that are there. I have uh, an uncle that is there. I, I have family that are there in heaven. And man, face to face to be able to see them again. Be able to be with them again. And what a blessing, what an encouragement, uh, just to think about that song. Uh, we were singing it, and I, a lot of times we'll sing these songs, and I'm, I'm, I can't remember, I, I can't recall, it's hard for me to think in Spanish sometimes, but I know we sang that song in Spanish, and, uh, being, and I don't want to shift into Spanish because I'd rather stay in English tonight, all right? Uh, so I'm not trying to recall the words sometimes, but, uh, but I recall singing that song a lot of times in Peru, and it just... Uh, uh, an enjoyable song to sing, and uh, man, what a, what a glorious day, that day that we will be face-to-face -face in heaven with family and friends and loved ones, and of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the, our Savior who died for us. What an incredible day and an incredible that time that we'll be face-to-face -face with him. Romans chapter number one, we started in this, uh, in the intro of it last week, and uh, this week, we're going to look at Paul's burden that he uh, declares right off the bat, right in the beginning of this book, he covers his burden and his concern. In these few verses that we're going to look at, Paul, uh, we can see Paul's heart very clearly. Now, Paul was a courageous, bold, uh, and even a brazen preacher of the gospel. You look at some of the places that Paul went, and you look at some of the, uh, the, the guts, if I can say, the courage that he had to proclaim the gospel to these lost and dying heathen cities. We're not talking about preaching to a friendly crowd in a church. We're talking about preaching on the street to people who uh, would ultimately reject what he was saying. And Paul was brazen. Paul was bold. Paul was courageous and getting the gospel out. But I want you to notice this about Paul as we look at it. Paul was not rude, he was not a brawler, and he was not contentious. We talked about that Wednesday night. Paul was not like that at all. And there is a difference. You can be bold for your faith without being rude. You can be courageous for your faith without being, uh, uh, without being uh, what's the word, contentious. Uh, and sometimes, uh, as Baptists, we, we like to be so bold for our faith that we use it in, as an excuse to become contentious. And that's not right. And that's not Paul's heart as we'll look here tonight in that service. And that's why I just love the Apostle Paul so much because uh, he was bold and he was courageous, but he was not a contentious brawler, if I can say it that way. 
and, uh, and there is a difference. And so Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 8, we'll start there. The Bible says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request. If by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that, my, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to gather in your house around your word. God, I pray that you'd use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. I pray, Father, that you'd help me to preach your word and to, uh, and to proclaim, Father, the message that you've laid on my heart. And God, may we see the, uh, the importance of this passage. And God, may you speak to each and every one of our hearts. And Father, we'll thank you for that. Challenge us to be better Christians and to be, uh, to be faithful to you. Father, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, uh, I want to start off right in the beginning with verse number 8. We can see Paul's impression of the people there at Rome. Paul's impression. And look at what he says. Uh, he gives the impression that he has received from them. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul was impressed with the Christians that were found there at Rome. And, he, and he's thankful to the Lord for their faith. Now I want you to notice that the faith that he's talking about is first and foremost their faith in salvation. Faith equals salvation, obviously. We're not saved by works. We know that. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I've said this, and I'll say it again. Could you imagine if you could work your way to heaven? Could you imagine the arrogant pride festival we'd have in heaven? That's what it would be. Uh, that, that it would be a tier system. Well, how'd you get to heaven? Well, I got to heaven because I gave a million dollars to the church. Stop that. Well, I got to heaven because, I, I, man, I built an orphanage, and I helped, uh, helped the kid. Well, he gets, a, he, gets a, he gets a podium a little higher than the guy who gave a million dollars. And, and then there'd be me, I, man, I, well, I preach the gospel and, you know, I probably don't rank as high. I didn't, you know, I didn't have as much money and I didn't start an orphanage. And, and, and you know, when we might, we might be on a lower tier, 
But, but listen, we're not, we're not going to heaven because of our works. We're not, we would not be able to arrive at heaven because of the works that we, would done, we have done. And it doesn't matter how many good works you can do. Uh, works, and we know this, will not get you to heaven. That's very clear throughout Scripture. And so salvation cannot be obtained by works. And listen, I want us to understand this because we understand that very clearly that we are not saved by works. That's a very clear Bible truth that is undeniable to everybody who is born again. And so we understand that, we realize that. But yet, at the same time, it's commonly thought among Christians somehow that works will bring you into favor with God. And so we know, hey, we're not saved by works. But man, we got to do our works so that, man, so that we set well in God's eyes and so that we're, we, 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 everything that we do is, uh, well, that God will be happy with us. Listen, God loves you no matter where you are at in life. Now, it is true that He does not approve of sin. Um, but listen, doing works is not going to gain you favor in God's eyes. You understand that? We, we, don't, we should not work to gain favor. And sometimes I think in our circles uh, that we think, well, uh, you know, that we can almost be pharisaical like uh, Paul was as we went through Philippians this morning. We were just looking at one passage and, and Paul was saying, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees and I kept the law and I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And he goes through and he gave his whole stock and everything that he'd done. And, and Manny, it, it, you would almost, he would fit in in Baptist circles today. Well, I belong to this Baptist church and I attend every, every service and I do this and I do that. And, I, and it's all a works-based idea. Listen, we don't work to gain favor with God. We work because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And that has to be our motivation. And there's a big difference between the two uh, because we're not looking to gain favor from God. We are working because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and we desire to serve Him. That ought to be our motivation. Uh, and we understand that works don't save us, but somehow when we uh, drag it over to our service, it is different. So we understand uh, that, that faith uh, equals salvation. And listen, uh, we, we serve Him because we love Him. And we look at this and we see faith is salvation. But not only is faith salvation, I want you to notice this as well, that faith is sincerity. Faith is sincerity. Uh, we look at this idea and ministry... And good works, we, we looked at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Or we know it, rather. Uh, but you know the verse that follows that in verse number 10? The Bible says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. God wants us to work. God ex wants us to do something for Him. Uh, listen, we're not all created the same. We're, we're, we're different. We have different gifts. We have different talents. We have different abilities. Uh, but listen, Paul was looking at those people and he said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And he was talking about their faith of salvation, but not just their salvation. He was talking also about their faith of sincerity in service. Listen, there's something different when somebody is serving the Lord out of sincerity and, and serving the Lord. 
there's a big difference, and you can tell. People are like, man, that guy loves the Lord. He wants to serve the Lord. And listen, that's what we want in our life. We want to be able to serve the Lord out of sincerity. I believe the Christians there were serving the Lord out of sincerity. And the Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You can, go to, uh, you can fall off the, uh, the bridge on either the right hand or the left hand and you can say, well, I'm, I'm going to serve the Lord and that's going uh, to solidify my love. Or you can say, well... You know, I don't want people to think that I'm pious and holy and more holy Joe than anyone else. So I'm, I'm going to love the Lord, but I'm not going to do anything. Because I don't want anybody to think I'm a gas bag. And you can fall off the bridge on this side. Uh, and say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to be sincere and I'm going to be faithful. Man, I sincerely do love the Lord. Uh, but man, I don't want anything else. I don't want nobody to think of me as, as somebody who's, you know, just doing but not really loving. Listen, there's balance in both of those. We need to serve the Lord. We need to serve the Lord in sincerity. We need to love the Lord. We are, our works, the Bible says, should be done before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I think the people of Rome who were saved, they did that. They, uh, they were sincere in their faith. Their faith was a living faith. It was an example of faith that others would look at and say, man, I tell you what, those Christians there in Rome, uh, there's something about them that is different than all the other religions that they have there in Rome. Listen, there was a lot of religions in that day. I remember going, not in Rome, uh, I've been to Rome as well, but I remember going to Syracuse and, and all the different gods that they were there and all the temples that were there and all the different beliefs that they had there. And, and it was just incredible really to see and to understand when Paul walked in there, uh, it was, a, it was a, a people that were idolatrous in, in many ways. They had religion, but Paul preached Paul, Paul went there boldly and preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and those people were saved. And I'm sure even in Rome with many other religions and many other uh, temples and many other things going on, uh, people would look around and they'd see the Christians that were there and they'd say, hey, there's, there's something different about that church and those people that these other temples and these other places don't have. And there was a sincerity that they had in their faith. Not only is faith salvation and faith ought to be sincere, but I want you to notice here in our text as well, he says that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You know, people are going to talk. You know this, they did not have social media in this day. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have TV. They didn't have radio. They didn't have telephones. There was no text messaging. You know what they did have? Uh, they, talked, uh, they talked one with another. You know what they said? They said, man, there's something going on over there at that church house. Th those people, there's something real about them. Uh, listen, people will talk about sincere, true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When somebody gets saved and their life changes and, and their family looks at that and their co-workers look at that and they say, man, you know, uh, that, that guy, he used to go and do this and he doesn't, he doesn't go out with us anymore. I wonder what happened to him. You know what happened? His faith was sincere. He got saved. His life changed. God changed his life. And his faith was sincere. And you know what happened? People start to speak about him. 
man, that guy, man, he's, he's gone off the deep end. He's a weirdo now. Yeah, he's one of those guys, man, he, he brings his Bible to work. He sits down in the break room and he reads it on break time. That guy's crazy. He's weird. Something happened to him. They might say stuff like that, but you know what? Paul was commending the people at Rome because why? Their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. You know what would be incredible? If people would talk about Maslin, Ohio. Say, man, I, I went to a church there. And I tell you what, the people that are there, their faith is real. There's something going on there. The Lord is working, and, and not for our glory, not that we could say, whoa, we're, we are the best. No, that we could point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have a sincerity that people would say, man, I tell you what, that church, there is something uh, that is real about that church. I, I've been, I've traveled to many different churches, and I'm just telling you, sometimes, man, you walk into a church and you can just tell. Man, those people love the Lord. And, and, and there's just a sweet spirit in that place. And there's a sweet service that's going on. And, and, and I tell you what, that's what we want at our church. We desire to have that same faith of salvation. First, we must be saved. And then of sincerity. And then it would be spoken of in a good light that people would say, man, those people are real. They're sincere. They're Christians that are, that are doing something for God. And I'm not talking about being a spiritual gas bag. You know what a gas bag is. I thought of that example, you know what a gas bag is. A gas bag is, is nothing but a hot air balloon. You know what a hot air balloon is. They have that hot air balloon festival. I think it's in August or something around here. And, and, uh, and wasn't, I think 2020 messed me all up, so I think we just take an eraser. If I say last year, I mean 2019. Because 2020 just didn't happen. Nothing happened. Uh, I think it was last year. I think it was two years ago, actually. 2019. Uh, my wife and I, we, we, we saw the hot air balloons. So, so we drove out there. We were just kind of watching, and, and they were taking off. And it was really cool, you know. And, and we, watched, we drove to one, and it was, it was all staked down. And, man, they had the big old tube there and the flame, and they were getting that thing upright, and they were blowing fire into that thing. And, and man, it was heating up, and it was starting to stand right up, and, and it was kind of neat. And, they, and we watched that thing take off. You know, once they get up there in the air, it's quite incredible. But I'll tell you this, they have to continually uh, flame that thing. Why? Because they got to continue to keep that thing afloat. And in order to keep that thing afloat, they got to keep blowing a bunch of hot air in it. Because if you don't, it's going down. It's going to have a problem. And there's a lot of spiritual gas bags that blow a lot of air and they got to continue to blow a lot of air because if they don't, they'll go straight down. You know what the difference between a hot air balloon is and a helium balloon? Helium balloon, you don't have to keep heating it up. It's all tied up. It's sealed and, and the helium, that's, it's what's inside. It doesn't run on a hot air. It runs on, on air that is lighter than the air that is in our in our area. May our life be so changed that we don't be a hot air balloon that blows a lot of spirituality, but that Jesus Christ would inflate us to the point that, hey, uh, that, that we would be lifted up for His honor and for His glory. That we'd fly and that our faith would be spoken of as these here in Rome, uh, were, their faith was spoken of. And that was Paul's impression. He said, he said I thank my God 
through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. What an incredible testimony that they had. I don't only want you to see Paul's impression of them. I want you to see Paul's interest. In verses 9 down through 13, we find Paul's interest for the people there in Rome. And he said this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. He said in verse 9 that he's praying for them. In verse 10, Making requests, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. He says in verse 9, I'm praying for you. In verse number 10, he says, I desire to come to you. That's Paul's interest. But we find in verse number 11, he lays out his true interest and his desire and why he is, why it is that he wants to go see them. He lays it all out for us in verse number 11. He says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. Verse number 11, we find Paul's interest for the people there at Rome. His interest was, number one, it was education. The word impart means to communicate the knowledge of something. Paul desired to go to Rome to teach those people and and to give them the word of God to help them grow in their faith. He desired to impart to them. Uh, And listen, that's what he desired for them. And listen, that's what we desire at our church. We desire to teach people the Word of God. We desire to impart the Word of God. You know why it is that we, uh, we certainly, we sing music. We believe that music is certainly a part of the worship service. And contrary to some popular belief, it's not a buffer to allow you to arrive, arrive late. Tongue got tongue-tied. It's not a buffer time so that you can come rolling in, you know, at 10 after and, and things of that nature. It is part of the worship service that we would sing those songs in worship to the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would honor and glorify Him with our voice and with, our, uh, with the words that we would say. And it helps tone our service. But listen, we don't, many churches nowadays, uh, they go, man, they're going, you know, 45 minutes of music and they have a, a five-minute sermonette. We don't do that. Why, why don't we do that? The reason we don't do that is because we believe in primary the education of the Word of God is the prominent and most important part of the, of the entire service. That's not to say the music service doesn't have a part. It has a very integral part. Uh, and the music sets the tone for the preaching. They all go together. But one of our desires at Anchor Baptist Church is to educate people with the Word of God. That's why when you see us every uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, we tell you, open your Bible. We ask you, hey, I encourage you, bring your Bible to church. And the vast majority of you do. And that's wonderful. You ought to bring your Bible. You ought to look in your Bible. You ought to make notes, whether in your Bible or on a separate separate notebook so that you can learn these things. Paul's desire was to educate them. By the way, that's part of the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, and we know Matthew 28, verses 19, Jesus said unto his disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's the first part. That first teach is to show them salvation. And then he says, after they're saved, baptizing them. And then in verse 20, he goes on and he says, teaching them 
to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's a big task. We have a big responsibility to educate the Word of God to, to, uh, to those who are saved and to those who are born again. Let me ask you something. I was thinking about this this week. Do you know of any educational institution that only operates for four hours a week? You would laugh, and rightfully so. I'm going to college. Really? What are you studying? Well, I'm studying to be a doctor. Oh, really? Well, how, you know, you got a heavy workload? No, we're just taking four hours a week. I don't want you to be my doctor. You're only studying four hours a week, buddy. I don't want you operating on me. You understand what I'm saying? We send our college, we send our high school kids, we send our kindergartners to school longer than four hours a week. And the holy institution of God only runs four hours a week that we're educating. You understand what I'm saying? And so many times we don't take the priority to prioritize our time to say, you know what, I want to be there for four hours a week. Listen, sometimes, and I, there's nothing wrong with watching a ball game, but listen, a ball game will run four hours in one night. Sunday morning for Sunday school, one hour. Sunday morning, a.m., one hour. Sunday night, one hour. Wednesday night, one hour. That's four hours in a week. We're the only, we're the only, now I know we run year-round. I understand that. But listen, that's four hours a week. You know most radio talk show hosts, they, they, they're like, just three hours a day, that's all we're asking. You imagine if the local church asked that, just three hours a day, hey, we're having services every night for three hours. We're we just asking three hours of your day every day. We're asking four hours a week because we desire to educate because we desire to instruct. Oh, we should probably do more, but we're not going to. Because listen, we're, we're, we're trying to fill up the time we have. And, and we desire to educate. Paul desired to educate the people there at Rome. And to say, listen, we want to teach you the word of God. And to, to, uh, to instruct you in the word of God. There's no shortcut to education. Anybody who's been to college knows that. You don't just breeze through classes. You don't breeze through classes in high school either. Uh, there's no shortcut to education. Education requires that we put in the time. And Paul desired to impart unto them uh, some spiritual gift. He wanted to teach them about the spiritual gifts. And look with me at the end of verse number 11. And he says, to the end that ye may be established. The word established means fixed firmly, founded. Listen, you know what our heart's desire is? That every one of you would be established in your Christian life. It breaks my heart going over the membership, going over the prospects list, and, and looking at people that have... I'm not talking about people who are staying home and calling in and watching online. We, we generally, we know most of them. I'm talking about people who have just fallen off the shelf. They're not established. You know what the, one of the saddest things to me in ministry is? Is that you cannot force people to do what's right. Oh, I wish I could. You can't. There's no way you preach, you teach, you pray, you, 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 you 
pour your heart out and you hope people choose to do right. But in the end, that's their decision. But Paul desired to establish them in their Christianity that their faith would be unwavering and that their life would be founded on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would continue to live and be faithful and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, hey, I desire to the end that ye may be established, unmovable, that you would be grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's interest. His interest was to educate. His interest was to establish them. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. The Bible says, in verse number 12, that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as uh, among other Gentiles. He says in verse number 12, not only to educate in verse number 11, not only to establish them so they would be unmovable, unwavering in their faith, but listen, he says in verse number 12, he says uh, that, it, that that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Do you know when we come together for church services, it's an encouragement. To see your face, it blesses my heart. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I come to church and I and I see you and I look around and I say, man, that's a that's a blessing to see them there. And, and I say it all the time. It's good to see you. I sincerely mean it. It is good to see you. I'm glad you're here. But you know what? Not only am I glad to see you. You know what? The person beside you is glad to see you here. It's an encouragement. It helps us to understand, hey, there are other Christians. We're gathering together, and God called us to come together as a church body, as a family. Why? Because just our presence together, as Paul was saying here, he says that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. In other words, I see your faith and I say, you know what, this person is walking with the Lord and man, they've been out in the world all week working and you know what, they're still coming to church and they're still reading their Bible and they're still praying and they're still trusting in the Lord. And listen, their faith encourages me and your faith encourages other people as well. There's a mutual encouragement that goes on when we assemble ourselves together. And Paul's interest in going to Rome was to be able to see them face to face and be able to talk to them. Now I'm grateful for the technology we have and I'm grateful that we're able to do call in and I'm grateful that we're able to do online and I'm grateful for those things and there's a place for that. But not, let it never be the norm for us that that's all we would ever use. Because listen you're missing out on a great blessing by not coming and seeing the faces of other people. I'm grateful for those who are able to watch online when they're working or when they're, uh, when they're sick. I'm grateful for that. I really am. I think that's a wonderful benefit and help. But listen, our norm should be to be in our place, to be at church. Why? Because we encourage one another. You know why Paul wanted to go to see him? Oh, well, because he didn't have FaceTime. No, that's not it. Because he didn't have email. No, that's not it. Let me ask you something. For you, for you that are married, would it be just okay to always FaceTime your wife? Never see her, never talk to her, other than FaceTime? To be separated 
and, and just, well, I, yeah, I got this phone. That's, that's good. I can, I can call her and I can see her. Is that good enough? No, that's not good enough. Some of them are saying, yeah, that might be all right. That, that's, you know, that might be good for a week, maybe for some of you. I don't know, but I tell you what, it's not a good long-term solution. And Paul was saying, I desire to come to you. You look at what he says. He says, man, I, I tried to come and see you in verse number 11. He says, I, I've been praying for you. I've been burdened about coming in verse number 13. He says, now I want to come to you and, and it just hasn't worked out. My schedule hasn't allowed it. But my interest and my desire is to come to you to encourage you by seeing you face to face and talking with you. Paul's interest is education. Paul's interest is in establishment. Paul's interest is encouragement. I want you to see lastly in verses 14 through 16, Paul's indebtedness. We see Paul's impression with them. We see Paul's interest in them. And we see Paul's indebtedness in verses 14 through 16. He says in verse number 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know a lot of modern translations take out the word of Christ, and they simply say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Listen, there's lots, you know what the word gospel means? Good news. There's lots of good news out there. There's lots of things that I might not be ashamed about, but I tell you what, one of the things that Paul clearly is saying is I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted to clarify he was not good enough just to say I am not ashamed of the gospel. He wanted to make sure that he understood, hey, I am preaching and I am talking about Jesus Christ, the person who came and died on the cross, and many modern translations omit the word Christ there one of the reasons that we need to be careful of the modern translations. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul had an indebtedness to the world. And I want you to notice there in verse number 13, or verse number 14, I'm sorry, verse 15, he says, so much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. I want you to notice that Paul was prepared. You know what indebtedness is? In 2020, I think, 29, or 2021, I think everyone should know what indebtedness is. They say that debt is, uh, it's outrageous in our country. I mean, amongst all people, uh, it's, it's not uncommon for people to have thousands of dollars of debt. And I'm not talking about just the house. Thousands of dollars. That means that you have to write a check every single uh, time the payment is due and pay these companies, and if you don't, they're going to turn you into collections, and, and if it gets that far, uh, eventually you may hit the, the, the time where you would go bankrupt. You're indebted. In other words, you owe them that kind of fine, that, those, that money. They, you've spent more than you have, and, and, and you have to pay them back for that money. Paul is saying in verse number 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. What Paul is saying is, listen, uh, I have been so blessed 
with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that I have a debt that I owe to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Paul was not called to go to the Jewish community, though Paul often would preach to the Jews. He didn't go out of his way to avoid them, but Paul was burdened and called to go to the Greeks and to the Gentiles, to the lost people of the world. And he says there in that verse, he says, to the wise and to the unwise. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, I didn't make a whole lot of distinction. I owe it to the world that I would get the gospel to the lost and dying world. Oh, that we would have that kind of sediment amongst Christians in 2021, that we would feel an indebtedness to get the gospel to the lost and dying world. That's how Paul felt. He said, I am indebted. That's the word he used, not indebted, debtor. I am debtor both to the Greek and to the barbarian, to the wise and to the unwise. And verse 15, so much is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. For verse 15, I have a preparedness. Paul was prepared. Are you ready? You should be ready to share the gospel at any given moment. If I were to, uh, if I were to ask you to, hey, why don't you share the gospel tonight with somebody? <gasps> Pastor me? Man, I get scared talking to people. You know what? The gospel, we can simplify it down to your testimony. What did Jesus do for you? How did Jesus change your life? When did you get saved and born again? You know the maniac of, Good, uh, of Gadara, I think it was, and uh, I, I don't, uh, Gadarenes, I don't remember and if it was Gadarenes or Gadara, but nonetheless, in Mark chapter 5, and, and when Jesus went there and that wild man was living in the tombs and, and he was cutting himself, and when Jesus showed up, the man sat down and, and he was saved that day. And the Bible says that he was in his right mind. He was thinking right. He was clothed, and his whole life changed that day. And you remember the herd of swines that ran over the cliff, and the people came out, and they were upset, and they, 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 they threw Jesus out of their town. They said, we don't want you here. All our swines are lost. All the money that we had tied up in those pigs, they're gone, and you've destroyed our economy and our business, and they threw Jesus out. And that maniac that had been saved that day, as Jesus was getting in the boat, he was going with him. He's like, man, I'm, you changed my I'm going with you. You changed my life. Are you kidding me? You're not leaving me. It's only been one day. I mean, maybe Jesus spent maybe two days, maybe three days, if you really want to stretch it there. He didn't spend much time there. You know what Jesus told that, that maniac? He said this, Mark 5, 19, you can mark it down. He said, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. You know what he said? Go share your testimony. Go tell them how I have changed your life. He didn't tell them to memorize the Romans road. He didn't tell him to go to Bible college and, and, and get educated in the scriptures and, and all of that. You know what he told him? He said, you don't have to have a college education. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to, uh, to, to go to soul winning classes to learn how to be an effective witness. You know what you need to do? Tell them what God did in your life. How he changed your life. 
You know why? Because that is just as real to you, and it's true. How oh, God changed your life. Uh, it's helpful to know verses, I'm not going to lie. That's certainly helpful, but you don't have to. And when it comes down to that point, man, you can, you can fumble through and, and find some verses. You can pull out a gospel track and just read the verses that are often listed in a gospel track oftentimes, but share with others what God has done in your life. In the book of Acts, Paul records his testimony uh, two or three times it's given. And you know what? When Paul has a public audience, you know what he does? You know what he says? Let me tell you about the time I was walking down the Damascus Road. Is it Damascus Road? I don't remember. He says, that light shined on me, and I fell down. I was persecuting Christians. And you know what God said? I want you to stop that. I want you to start living for me. Paul's life was radically changed that day. You know what he did? He shared his testimony time and time and time again. That's what Paul did. He was prepared because he was saved. Paul's indebtedness, we see that he was prepared. Not only that, but I want you to notice in verse number 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know what he was saying? I will publicly proclaim the gospel message, just like pastor's message this morning. It's a public confession that I will publicly proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we do not need more undercover Christians. We need unashamed Christians. We need people who are, are willing to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul publicly proclaimed the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere he went. He was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, there's no preacher uh, that I know of today that suffered like Paul suffered in his lifetime. He was stoned and left out to die. He was whipped and beaten and thrown in prison time and time again. And yet every time Paul got out, you know what he did? You'd think a man like that would learn. Keep his mouth shut. No, Paul didn't learn. He said, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm going to proclaim the message of salvation to every lost person as long as I have breath and as long as I have uh, the, the, the wits about me to be able to preach the gospel, I will proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And he says, I am unashamed. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ. We need to be unashamed of the gospel of Christ. Verse 16, the second part, he says, It is the power of God unto salvation. Paul's indebtedness, he was prepared, there's a public proclamation, and that there was power. Did you know that power doesn't come from your marvelous ability to communicate it really doesn't power comes from the message that we proclaim of Jesus Christ power doesn't come from our resounding personality power is the simple message that Jesus Christ came to the earth he became man God in the flesh he was sinless he died on the cross was buried and rose again and that's the message that changes life. You can fumble through that message. 
And as long as you got the sincerity like the Romans had to back it up, and their faith was sincere, Paul's faith was sincere. He said, I'm going to proclaim it. Listen, it's that message that, that is powerful. Paul said in the book of Corinthians, he said, not that I, um, he said, I don't come to you in the, in the uh, wisdom of my words. In other words, I don't come to you with the, the wonderful ability, of the gift of speaking and, and the gift of, of being able to talk, but I come to you in the power of the Spirit. Listen, if you'll give the message, that message of salvation, the gospel of Christ, it, that gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. God will change lives if we'll just share and we'll just proclaim the message. We can see Paul's impression of the people. We can see Paul's interest in going to Rome. And we can see Paul's indebtedness that he felt necessary to preach the gospel. Listen, if, I could, if we could get a hold of one thing, and I wish we had the indebtedness that Paul felt, that we desired to let everyone know of the message of salvation like Paul had on his heart. What a preacher that he was concerned about those things. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet, God, I pray that you'd help us. God, we're a far cry from the life and sincerity that Paul lived. God, without a doubt, Paul was impressed with the Christians at Rome with their faith of salvation and with their faith of sincerity and with their faith being spoken of throughout the whole world. There was something real there going on. God, may our faith be so sincere and so real. God, we see Paul's interest to educate, establish, and encourage those believers. God, may we have the same interest in encouraging, establishing, and educating believers. God, we see Paul's indebtedness. Preach the gospel. No, God, may we feel that same indebtedness to the lost and dying world. God, we hold the truth in our laps. We carry the truth with us every day in our hearts. Help us to proclaim unashamedly the gospel of Jesus Christ. See people's lives changed, not because of us, but because of the message of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. Help us have that burden, have that compassion, have that concern for the lost. Well, thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the piano begins to play. God's spoken to your heart. The altar's open. You can pray right there in your seat. You can pray at the altar. Oh, what a, what a phenomenal example the life of Paul is. 
I'll be honest with you. Even the Christians there at Rome had a resounding testimony spoken of throughout the whole world. 